Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Geek Roulette. Uh, if you're listening to this episode, thank you very much for uh, subscribing via through whatever outlet or platform you use. We are now also on Spotify as well as iHeartRadio. And let's not forget, of course, a trusty old Google as well as Apple Podcasts as well. We're all over the place. Yes, we are. My name is Mike Spriegel, and with me is my co-host... John Lundquist. How's it going, everybody? It'd be weirder if we had somebody talk back at this point. That would be a studio audience. We'll, we'll we'll aim for that like year two, year three, where we have like a live audience, but it's just going to be like three people in the background heckling and yelling at us. <laughs> we are children. Our kids. Dad, you suck. I just want to go to bed. This isn't interesting. We don't care what you have to talk about. We listen to you all the time. Knock it off. It's not funny, Dad. Anyhow, uh, so going into our second episode, uh, one thing we want to do is we're obviously doing everything we can to try to keep these episodes as frequent as possible but also as topical as possible Uh, it's important just because i don't want to record an episode like this then release it like a month after uh so our focus today is actually the new captain marvel movie yes hopefully everybody went out to go check it out this weekend or you know if not this weekend pretty soon it's uh well as you'll hear pretty soon it's good stuff uh definitely worth checking out especially if you are a fan of the marvel cinematic universe i would uh say that this has been a I don't know what the best word to use it it's it's been a very polarizing movie well up until it even came out just because yeah fanboys will be fanboys I think and there's a lot of uh you know people beforehand that actually had a campaign saying instead of seeing this movie go see Alita Battle Angel because it doesn't have an anti-male message in it and I, I didn't see any. There was a couple of moments where, yeah, no. there, there were some jerk asshole men that were in the movie, but nothing that I sat there and thought, this is clearly an agenda against my groin. Yeah, and we'll definitely, I mean, that's a whole other topic for a whole other time, which you'll see in a future episode. We definitely plan on touching on that a bit, so we won't get in too much into it here. Um, do we want to start with our list right now? Yeah, let's uh, start with the arbitrary list. So, the hard thing is is that you almost have about almost three to four Marvel movies that come out a year nowadays. And because of that, the list of what your top five and bottom five always seem to adjust and move. So uh, we're going to do our top five and bottom five Marvel movies. Now, I have mine in order. I think yours are just more of a floating place. Yeah, mine's a little... I don't... I'm not a huge fan of ranking things absolutely, you know, with some exceptions. I, you know, it kind of depends on the day that you're you're catching me with some of these things. You know, there's definitely definite tops, definite bottoms, but, um, you know, to be fair, most of these are at least somewhat enjoyable in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think the trick when you try making a list like this is that it's always going to be based on preference and it's you can't in opinion and i think the hard thing is you can never argue against opinion you can never go to a person and say your opinion is wrong now you can say yeah. you have poor taste but i don't think you could ever say you know your opinion's wrong and actually be able to construct a scientific opinion about it because everybody's different so let's uh let's do this let's start out with the worst ones first uh just to get those out of the way Seeing your list, I think our lists are going to be kind of similar in some ways. Yeah, we can kind of bounce around a bit as we're going to touch on a lot of the same ones here. All right, so why don't you uh, launch down on what your list is? Just read them all the way down. Uh, my top, or bottom five, rather, I should say. And again, this isn't in a particular order. I've got 
Thor The Dark World, which I kind of hate to say because I generally like the Thor movies more than most people, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2, and Age of Ultron. I have almost every same movie on there except one, and I strongly disagree with one of the movies that you have on there. Yes, you do. uh, My uh, bottom five I have... uh, Iron Man 2 I have on there. I have Doctor Strange, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 3, but the worst of them all, I think we can easily agree, is Thor the Dark Age or Dark World or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, I'm touching on that one. I mean, I think it was just, you know, as everybody says, Christopher Eccleston was horribly underutilized. I mean, you could have put anybody in that role. He didn't really do anything. He had, you know, not much impact on anything that was going on. Um, and the movie, it's, it just kind of fell flat. I, I think my biggest issue with the second Thor movie is, is that when you watch the first Thor movie, you still have this sense of mythological wonder and, you know, about Asgard and Thor and all of these, you know, things that you used to think were myths. And then you get to the second Thor movie and they try to subvert your expectations by showing that, well, wait a second, Asgard is also a very technologically advanced planet. They have all this magical science and spaceships and all these other things. They even have a spaceship battle chase in Asgard, and all of it felt kind of just awkward. I get it's trying to modernize a take that, hey, they're part of a great... They're not an actual gods themselves. They're beings from, of course, a different planet. But it was just something that I felt was executed so poorly that... It just, it impacted the rest and the feel of the movie. And I, I think when you look at how the first and third more Thor movie uh, handled how Asgard was, I, I feel that was one of the biggest detriments. Also, Natalie Portman is just probably amazingly uncharismatic in this movie. And you really just don't care what happens to her. Yeah, it was almost like she just didn't want to be there. And I'm not sure exactly what her, I don't remember what the situation was back then. If it was, you know, just contractually obligated or what it was but it definitely felt like she just didn't want to be there and was you know i hate to use the term phoning it in but almost something similar to that i I feel it's almost that every marvel movie one of the biggest mistakes they kind of have sometimes from the early on is that and they still do it is that there has to be some sort of love subplot you have to have it where all right you can't have tony stark without pepper pots and you know the background you can't have you know, Captain America without Peggy Carter in the background. You can't have, of course, you know, Thor without Jane, you know, in the background. And I think that's fine, but all that does sometimes is it muddies up the movie because it's just adding an extra subplot where sometimes you don't need to have that in there. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the movie. Some it works perfectly fine and it's natural, but I think this one just felt a little forced. Right. So we both agree the second Thor is the worst. Yes. Um, both of us have... Iron Man 3 in there, and my my complaint on Iron Man 3 is, is that it is a movie where it's 85% of the movie where Tony Stark is not Iron Man. Uh, Pepper Potts spends more time being a superhero than Tony Stark, but I think my biggest issue with uh, the third Iron Man movie was that Tony, the whole plot is he has PTSD because of him almost dying in the first Avengers movie, and it seems revol- resolved by the end, and there's no lasting effects after that. Yeah, they kind of they just kind of lightly brush that subject. It's something that definitely deserves a little bit more. I think if they would have taken that a little bit more seriously and worked with that a little bit more, it would have been a little bit more beneficial to it. And I think just and I think the whole villain swap too just 
didn't work for it at all. I mean, you, you had you threw out Ben Kingsley as this red herring of a villain with the Mandarin, and then it ended up being a I can't think of his name. What the, the Killian? Yes, Killian. What are the, the actor's name? Uh, well, I think the other problem too is you can't have Guy Pierce in the movie without thinking that he's the bad guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to have some kind of major role, obviously. Right. I think just that switch-up just seemed awkward, and he didn't really have, you know, Guy Pierce didn't quite have the, you know, what you wanted for a villain. Um, both of us agree that we have Iron Man 2 on our list, and that one, it's once again one of those movies that, f- it's, it's hard, because I think it wasn't necessarily a bad movie, and understand, ranking these doesn't mean that these are all bad, it's just when you compare them to the rest of the Marvel movies, I feel that there was a lot of wasted opportunity. I feel that instead of having um, uh, the Crimson Dynamo in there as your main bad guy, I think Whiplash, you, or Whiplash, you really uh, underutilized Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell could have been just great as a bad guy on his own, and I, I feel that was a great miss right there. It was a good introduction to the Wasp, but the whole almost dying subplot also just kind of felt weird and... Yeah, I think that one kind of fell from its villain. I think, uh, you know, Whiplash was just kind of this weird... I think he maybe would have worked as a secondary villain, but then you kind of get into the whole, you know, having too many villains in a movie, which a lot of superhero movies tend to... is a trap they tend to fall into. Um, but yeah, it, it just didn't work as well, which is kind of disappointing after as good as the first one was in setting up the whole Marvel Universe. Maybe the weird thing, and you know, having both Iron Man 2 and 3 as both, uh, you know, in our bottom five... I feel the biggest problem with maybe both those movies is that the movies spend more time having, I almost say, want to say Tony Stark be his biggest enemy more so than the enemies in the movie itself. Yeah, and I think the other problem, too, with those is that they came out so early in the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline. I mean, Iron Man 3 was the first movie that got released after Avengers, and then, you know, that's all we've seen. And I think the bar's been set so much higher since then that... It's hard to look at these, you know, like we said, they're not bad. They're just not as good compared to what we have now. Well, and I think both of us have the Incredible Hulk in there. I think that is truly a good example of being so early in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Marvel didn't know what it had at its time. And I'll say that the Incredible Hulk itself isn't a bad movie. It just doesn't fit well in the Marvel Universe. And it, of course, doesn't hurt or help its case the fact that they had to replace Ed Norton with Mark Ruffalo because of... Ed Norton being notoriously difficult to work with. Yeah, again, it's not a bad movie. It's just kind of an awkward, you know, odd man out type type situation where it's not bad. It just doesn't quite fit as well as the rest of the Marvel movies do. I mean, watching it was interesting. It was much better than the Ang Lee Hulk movie, which was just a weird, weird movie. Hulk poodles, baby. (laughs) I don't even mind that. The Hulk poodles is just the weird narrative that Ang Lee used to show the entire movie itself. Now, all that's four movies that we each agreed definitely belong to the bottom four, and we each came up with that independently. Now, our fifth movies we have are definitely very different between each other because um, I have Doctor Strange, and I, one of the reasons I feel Doctor Strange fell up short is that by having, having Doctor Strange's origin sometimes be so similar in some ways to Iron Man's about being physically crippled and handicapped and having to use a means of overcoming it. There was a, the special effects are hands down amazing. I just feel that none of the characters were really that enticing or nothing that worked well. I also feel that Cumberbatch, uh, Cumberbatch's um, 
accent for American was just horrible. It it definitely stuck out. And I think ultimately the last reason why I feel that Doctor Strange in some ways I almost just doesn't work is that I think it helps that a lot of the main actors that you have in the Marvel Universe, you don't really have people that were top-shelf guys in some ways. There are guys that were always more secondary you know, actors in other movies. I feel that when they cast Cumberbatch, they cast him at the height of his popularity because of Sherlock and a lot of other things. And I feel that it was a very high-profile role when I watch the movie. I don't sit there and say that's Doctor Strange. I would argue, though, that... They have a ten times better Doctor Strange in Thor Ragnarok than they do in Doctor Strange's own movie. Yeah, and I think that's definitely part of, you know, if you have an issue with it. I don't. I kind of like it. It's not my top five by any means, but it's, you know, more middle of the pack for me. But I think part of the appeal that the Marvel movies, they kind of took these, they weren't definitely no-name actors. I mean, they're all A-list actors now. Chris Evans, you know, Robert Downey Jr., but at the time, they were more or less unknowns, or at least people trying to make a name for themselves. So when you go see it, you could see their portrayal as Captain America or Iron Man, Tony Stark, whoever. Whereas this one, I agree, it's kind of hard to see him as Doctor Strange and not as much as Benedict Cumberbatch. I would say that almost all your primary Marvel characters that you have in these movies, the roles actually probably helped define, and they brought them up to the next level. Like, you think about, you know, Chris Pratt before, and he was, you know, fat old Andy on Parks and Recs, and then you take a look at what he did in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's like, all right, he's now on an entirely different level of acting. I think that's the only problem that Cumberbatch had, is that he couldn't match this the same career jump leap, I think, as everybody else, and that's why I feel it fell flat. So Now, why don't you tell me what your uh, last bottom five is, which I strongly disagree with. You do strongly disagree for a reason, which we'll figure out in a little bit here. But uh, Age of Ultron is in my bottom five, and it's just it's one that I just find I don't enjoy as much. I can't really pinpoint quite why, and it's I'm fully willing to admit that I could just use a good rewatch, and maybe now that I've been a bit distanced from it, uh, I might appreciate it more. But it just I don't know, it just felt a little bit more. I didn't think Ultron didn't work quite as well as I think he should have. I mean, in the comics, he's one of the huge. You know, when Ultron stops by in the comics, it's a big deal. It's a huge event, and. You know, I just feel like they didn't quite use him as well as they could have, I don't think. I disagree. Yes, obviously. Shall we get on to why you disagree? We'll get on to why we disagree, because we're going to go on now to our top five movies. And our top five movies, um, I'll uh, I'll go first. And My number five, in terms of top five, I cheated. I made it a tie. I had it between Spider-Man Homecoming and Captain America the First Avenger. And the only it's depends on my mood, but I feel that's how strong Spider-Man was once you got them out in, into Marvel's hands. How they cast the perfect Spider-Man. They had the perfect amount of levity, the perfect amount of nerdiness. You had the perfect amount of quipping, the perfect amount of innocence. They did a great job with that. I feel that Captain America the First Avenger is probably the best origin story out of any of the core characters that Marvel has done. And I feel that's the one that I can always watch over and over again, and it doesn't bug me. Uh, what would be your number five? I would say my number five out of the five I've got on there is probably Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it's really good. I think that was one of the first ones that came out when they were, you know, everybody was kind of expecting it to flop, and there because it was very much an unknown property, and you know, it had a raccoon and a talking tree. And when it came out, just the chemistry that the actors had together, and you know, the job that James Gunn did with the atmosphere and everything, and the soundtrack, everything just just clicked together. And I think it was just, and maybe that's part of why everybody liked it. it. Was just it was more of a surprise, I think, than anything else. That when they went to go see it, it was just everything clicked together. I even remember watching the trailers and thinking, you know, that 
it just didn't look as good, and I was not quite looking forward to as much as I thought I would, and it was just, I think, out of the two, I think I prefer that one to Volume 2. Yeah, I I would say that one of the biggest benefits that Guardians of the Galaxy had uh, was having James Gunn. I think James Gunn did such an amazing job of capturing just an overall tone and feel of how that movie should be and feel like at this point. And that movie is also on my list as well. I have that movie marked at uh, number three on my list, so we can skip my number three. I feel it was one of the perfect blend of humor. I feel it was taking a bunch of character, once again, actors. Like, you're taking a professional wrestler like, uh, you know, Tony Batista, and you have him being one of the most funniest aspects of a movie when you wouldn't yeah. probably expect it. You take some of your best vocal talent, you know, and you have Vin Diesel just basically saying the same lines over and over again, but we're laughing at it. Yeah, you essentially get two A-list actors in, you know, him, Vin Diesel and then Bradley Cooper doing Rocket Raccoon, and you have him just doing voice work where they're never seen on screen at all. Exactly. So I, I feel Guardians of the Galaxy did a great job of just nailing all the perfect balances. The new Suicide Squad, now that James Gunn has been booted over the DC... I, I feel I'm willing to give that a much better chance than I did the original Suicide Squad, which I hated absolutely. So, And I haven't seen. My number uh, four that I have on my list is what was one of your bottom ones, and that's Avengers <laughs> of Each of Ultron. Allow me to retort and defend it. Please do. All right, so here's my thing why I feel that that is actually the best Avengers movie out of all the Avengers movies. And who knows, we still have a new one that's coming out next month. But the reason why, it is probably one of the only movies where the Avengers are a team throughout the entire movie. And it feels like an actual team movie. You see all these characters working together. And I'm not saying that the Avengers weren't the Avengers in the first movie. But since it's an origin movie, you have all these guys that aren't getting along until they come together at the end and rally to become... You know, the Avengers and fight. It's nice seeing... I think one of the things I like is when you have a movie that just goes into it and and doesn't have to set things up. Instead, it's like, hey, look, here's the Avengers. Right from the start of the movie, they're a team. They're fighting. They're already on their way after Baron Stricker at this point. You know, it it shows that these guys have been working together. They do it throughout the entire course of the movie. It's actually a very engaging movie. The humor in it, I feel, is very dead on. Whedon sometimes gets a little too Whedon-y in the movie where he does some of the things that he does. You can't have a Whedon you know, program without killing off a major character. I don't feel that Ultron fell short in any way, shape, or form. If there was any character that I felt that did fall short in the movie, it was actually Baron Strucker. The fact that he's kind of hinted at early on, you know, the post, you know, credit sequences in the movies and, Oh, he's going to be this big gag, bad guy. And he surrenders, you know, right away and then gets beat up. That'll credit that. Yeah, that wasn't the best use of him, but I just feel it's just a very full engaging. It's, it's an actual superhero movie. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of that movie is still when, uh, they're all just having kind of a leisurely party and they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer. It's moments like those you just sit there where it's a moment of levity, but also shows that these are guys that all like and care about each other, and I think that's why it holds up so strong in my you know. Yeah, eyes. like I said, I think I'd, if I were to give it another shot and check it out again, I might bump it up a little bit. I don't think it would get as far as my top five, but it'd pr- probably go off my bottom five at least. All right. What's uh, one of your next ones? I think my next four can be kind of interchangeable depending on what day it is, um, but I'm going to go with Captain America Winter Soldier. 
Um, just a great, um, great spy movie, basically. You know, Captain America gets to kind of do what he does. Um, you get the backstory with him and Bucky a little bit, you know, and you find out what's been going on with him. The camaraderie with Falcon and Black Widow is great. Um, the action sequences are really good and fun to watch. And, you know, it's just it's an exciting movie pretty much from start to finish. And kind of jumping on mine, I, my number three, I had Guardians of the Galaxy. So I agree with you, that being in the top five. I'm going to say that Captain America the Winter Soldier, that was my number one movie overall. And I think out of all the Marvel movies out there, it felt like one of the most complete movies in terms of character plots, character motivations. You're right, it was a great espionage movie. I felt it worked tremendous as a standalone movie where you didn't have to watch any of the other Marvel movies to really have a full idea of what was going on. I feel that, once again, in the beginning of the movie, you have him just jumping into a mission right away and kind of, you know, showing that he's an established member and it doesn't go through all this exposition to try to set things up. They detail everything very well organically. The Bucky subplot works out amazingly well. You know, having S.H.I.E.L.D. be poisoned within within works out very well. So I, I feel that was probably my favorite of all of them. What's another one of yours on your list? Well, there's only one left on my list, and that's my number two movie. And uh, my number two movie would be Thor Ragnarok. Which is also on mine. We might as well do that one now. Uh, I think with Thor Ragnarok, I think one thing that Marvel got very good at as the movies went on, and maybe this is why some people like the later movies versus the origin movies, is that when you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, you look at movies like Thor Ragnarok, you take a look even at like movies like Ant-Man. These people start saying that the Marvel movies get a little bit more jokey, a little bit more ha-ha, you know, where they have a little bit more gags in there. But Ragnarok, I think, redeemed Thor in the way that, once again, has my thing I've already stated before. The first scene of the movie, Thor is already captured. He's already out on like a mission, an adventure, doing something. And it's basically nice when you show that, hey, here's the characters in their everyday lives already in the middle of doing what they're doing. I feel that the whole, you know, introduction of Hela, the, you know, the subplot with Loki and Thor still, you know, fighting with each other, almost making a Planet Hulk storyline, having the amount of, let's say, light humor that, you know, is in the movie itself. It was a great blend of everything, and I feel that, that it was, I feel that Thor Ragnarok is one of the most funnest movies you can just continually watch over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's a great action movie. It's, you know, I mean, who would have thought that a Thor Hulk buddy movie would have been something that we would all be saying is, you know, one of the best Marvel movies ever. Um, you know, and it's almost kind of surprising that they took a big Hulk movie or Hulk comic book story, you know, in Planet Hulk and turned it into a Thor movie in it. You wouldn't think that would have worked, but I think they pulled it off greatly. I mean, uh, I'm not even going to try and take Wahidi. Takiti Wahidi. Yes, there we go. I can never pronounce it. Um, I think he did a great job. I think, that, you know, and it's... I think testament to Marvel that they let the directors do what they want to do and make the movies that they want to make. And they don't kind of lord over them, this corporate, you know, you need to make this, it needs to have this feel, it needs to have this kind of sense to it. And these directors can bring their own sensibilities to it. And you get great movies like, you know, like this, like, you know, Black Panther that we'll get to in a little bit, I'm sure, and, you know, other movies. And I think one of the big things, too, kind of to your point, too, about letting directors be directors... Marvel wasn't always like that. They were still very tight and stiff about things. I mean, you look at the fact that Edgar Wright had to bow out of Batman because of difference of opinions. Marvel was still trying to figure out where that right balance was while still maintaining a connected universe. I know a lot of people got mad about Edgar Wright getting kicked off of Ant-Man, but when you look at still how cohesive the Marvel universe is, their way is working. 
it's not a mistake that they yeah. have 21 movies in a connected universe spanning over one decade. That's not coincidence. That's because they've done a great yeah. job. And, and the worst done. you can say is that some of them just aren't as good as the rest of them. Exactly. So uh, what are your last two that you have on your list? So my couple stragglers, one which I just mentioned is Black Panther. I just feel like the world that they created there is just amazing. I think, And I think even more testament, I think you could pull that out of the Marvel Universe and just make that a standalone movie that doesn't even take place in the Marvel Universe. And I think it would be still be just as good. I think the, the direction was great, the way they made Wakanda look, just everything. You know, the Oscars that just won last month were definitely well-deserved in the categories it got. I think it was just well put together. The story was great. It kept you invested. There was plenty of action, and it was and it was good. And, you know, the villain in Killmonger with uh, Michael, B. Jo- Michael B. Jordan? Yep. Yes. Um, he did a great job. You know, I mean, everybody, that was one of the things everybody said was that he's one of the best villains, and it was a shame he had to die off by the end because he was one of the more engaging villains in the Marvel Universe, which is saying something, because I think that was like the 20th or 19th movie that had come out up to that point. So um, just very well done, and it's it's one that I don't mind putting on and watching, and whether it's in the background or sitting down to watch it. And I have that movie in my 7 to 10 range, so it's not far from the top 5. Yeah. And my last one I've got on my list is the recently released from last year, uh, Infinity War. And I've got that on there. I think for me, it's just it's another one that's just really fun to watch. I mean, as depressing as it gets at the end there, I think it's just it's the one I think that feels the most like I think what a comic book crossover is from the comics. I mean, having read comics for pretty much all my life, that's the one I think that gets the feel of having all these different characters. I mean, that was the big question before it came out was, can they balance all these dozens of characters, give them enough stuff to do, keep it interesting? you know, and make you interested in what's happening. And I think they pulled it off with, you know, different little groups of, you know, Avengers with Guardians of the Galaxy's characters, with Spider-Man, with, you know, everything. I think everybody broke off and kind of did their own thing. It was all interesting. The action was great. You know, Thanos was a threat to be reckoned with through the whole movie. Um, and obviously we'll see how that gets re- resolved next month. But, uh, but yeah, it was just a lot of fun and a great comic book movie in my opinion. I have that more middle of the pack, and my only complaints with the movie itself, I think you hit it right, it's a great crossover movie, but I wouldn't call it an Avengers movie, because you look at how majority of the Avengers take a backseat, I think, to so many other characters, with the exception of probably Tony Stark, you know, and Iron Man. Iron Man, I feel, is probably the most prominent of the Avengers. Otherwise, you have the Guardians of the Galaxy, you have Spider-Man, you have all these other auxiliary characters in yeah. there. So I'm not saying it's not a bad movie. I'm just saying no, that... absolutely. I think if, if they were being completely honest, they maybe would have branded it as, you know, Marvel Universe, the Infinity War, or something like that is probably a more appropriate title. Um, but, I, you know, I think it works out pretty well. Right. So that's our arbitrary list for uh, today's episode. Let's move on. What we're going to do, we're going to have at least maybe about a quick 5-10 minute talk, uh, sort of a spoiler-free review of, let's say, Captain Marvel. And then we're going to have a full-blown spoiler review of the movie. So if you've not seen it yet and feel that's where you want to dip out until you do see it, that's perfectly fine. So... Uh, touching up on at least a spoiler-free you know version of the movie, uh, the movie itself uh, had a great box office. One of the I think it's like the third largest March opening of all time. It's one of the movies that's probably matched so many others in terms of Marvel in terms of openings. I feel as the movie goes, it was a very good movie. I don't have it in my top five as you've probably already heard. It's probably more in that seven to ten range in terms of 
how you know it stands amongst all the other Marvel movies. But I think it's a good mixture of a nice blend of an action movie itself, a movie about identity, a movie kind of ironically enough about you know who you know war and who's on what side, I guess, depending on perspective and how everything is looked at in that sense. You get to see great origins, I feel, of uh, Nick Fury and how Nick Fury kind of became, you know, Nick Fury, the character we know from today's movies. You get some great moments with uh, Coulson being back in the Marvel Universe after being exiled onto Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the past few years. I I feel it was good. There's, I think some parts in the movie were maybe it dragged a little, where it felt a little too origin-y, I guess, in some ways, that you have to have the exposition, which is necessary to understand things, but you kind of want to get back to the action at certain points. But what's your thoughts? I think I'm kind of with you. For me, it probably falls in that 5 to 10 range. It's very good, definitely worth checking out. Um, I feel like everything they did in it was too well. I don't want to get too much into spoilers. I mean, it is an origin movie, obviously, but I feel like they handled this one Better than most. I don't think it had quite as much drag as some. It does have a little bit, like you said, because that's kind of unavoidable when you're explaining the background of characters and where they come from. Um, it's a little unavoidable, but I feel like they did most of it pretty well. Um, I feel just a couple quick asides. Uh, the, the intro Marvel Studios thing, make sure you get there in time to see that. They do something really cool with that. I won't spoil what it is, but that's really cool. And, of course, it is a Marvel movie, so make sure you stay all the way through the credits. There are two credit scenes that you will want to stick around for one that's after the i don't know what you want to call them the special effects credits right away and then another one at the very end of the boring long black screen credits uh but both are pretty cool and you should definitely stick around for should we get should we get into spoilers uh i'd say the only other few non-spoiler things i'd or spoiler non-spoiler things i'd throw out real quick is this i feel the casting was very strong in the movie i feel that there was great chemistry between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. I I think it legitimately felt like those two were having fun making the movie. And it feels that yeah. in the audience when you have that. I feel that, you know, there's some nice callbacks to some of the other, you know, aspects of other parts of the Marvel Universe we've seen, such as the Kree. If there's one thing I think is a weird misfire in some ways, I will say it's the casting of Annette Benning in some ways. And for multiple reasons, but I'll touch on that more in the spoilers versus anything else. Um, outside of that, I think the other thing that this movie, I feel, does an amazing job of doing is recapturing the feel of the 90s. When you watch the movie, you hear the soundtrack. If you're the age of, let's say, 35 or older, definitely you can probably remember a lot of these songs being you know, on the radio. You've yeah. seen a lot of just those little things like... Hey, there's a blockbuster. Hey, there's an internet cafe. Hey, what's that? It's a CD that's loading. Yeah. You know? I will say that's one thing. The soundtrack kind of caught me off guard. I hadn't really paid much attention to any of the, the minor details because I tend to like to go into movies relatively fresh, but it was kind of nice hearing some of the songs that they had picked out, you know, and she's wearing a nine-inch nail shirt throughout the whole thing, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a nice surprise. Yeah, so I all in all, I'd say as a movie, definitely something I recommend go and see, especially... If you're going to go and obviously, if you've already invested yourself in seeing all the other Marvel movies, why wouldn't you continue? As well as it yeah. does have some things that will definitely help explain out some of the other aspects of uh, Avengers Endgame that's coming out next month. So, here's your last chance. If you don't want to know any spoilers, spoilers, 
Go I, away. Just pause. It's fine. Yeah. Podcasts will still be here. Download it. Go watch the movie at your leisure and then come back. Listen. We'll still be here. You can agree with us, disagree with us. We'll give you about a few seconds. Huh? One, two, three. You still here? All right. Everybody dies in the movie. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Nobody technically, did. eventually they will die. Well, half of them are dead now. Well, in a manner of speaking, I, they're not all dead. We don't know. Well, reasonably speaking, I mean, you know, let's just snap. We don't know who affected was who by the snap. This is true. All right, so going into some of the spoilers of the movie, um, one of probably my favorite twists in the movie that I think was very well done and amazingly well hidden. I think. Based yeah. on the commercials and everything else. I think I know what you're getting at. Is going to be the fact that the Skrulls are not the bad guys in the movie. Yeah, I think I think that's one thing. I think if comic fans getting an uproar, and I, I haven't actually seen much of an uproar on it, but I, I, I kept waiting for this. You know, they kind of, in, when they, they're in the scene in the farmhouse or whatever, and they're in the, I kept waiting for I was sure. I'm like, okay, he's just playing them. At some point, he's going to turn around and blast her. So I kept waiting for that to happen, and it wasn't until he meet, they get on the Captain Marvel ship and... You know, and his family comes on like, "Whoa, no, they're actually playing this straight. Like they are the good, good guys." And it was, it was a nice twist. I think something to keep comic fans like us guessing, like you know, like you're watching, like, "Oh, the scrolls, the evil guys, are here to take over the world." But that wasn't the case. Traditionally, the scrolls in the comics are considered to be shape shifting aliens, bent are an angry race of aliens, usually always about infiltration and domination. They're portrayed exactly as that throughout most of the early movie that the Kree are trying to take care of the skulls because scrolls because they're afraid they're trying to take over the world and we're led with that narrative. Until you get halfway through the movie and you realize that the Kree have just been hunting down the scrolls because the scrolls do not want to bow down to their, you know, kingdom. Yeah, they basically just want to do their own thing. And they're basically refugees just searching for a planet to just live and be people. So I thought that the fact that that wasn't spoiled out on anything was a very well-done job on Marvel's part on keeping that very tight-lipped, and yeah, I feel them. definitely a high point in the movie. Um, I think getting back to the origin part, I think it was kind of interesting how it's the way it starts out, everything is very confusing. You're not sure what's going on. I think it's a nice way to portray, like, that's kind of what Carol's going through, or, you know, or what's her name, uh, Vers or Veers, whatever they Veers. call her on, on uh, the Cree homeworld. Um She's not quite sure what's going on, and as a result, we aren't. And it's not until, as the movie plays out, it kind of gets, that's part of the plot is figuring out her origin. It's not something we're kind of forced to sit through as, you know, she spends half the movie as a, a normal person, and we have to wait for it to get interesting, wait for whatever it is that happens to her to to get her powers. You know, she's technically already got them at the beginning, and we just kind of learn of her origin story over the course of the movie. I, you know, I think, yeah, the whole memory loss thing, it seems kind of trite in some ways, but they do play it off well enough to help fill in the gaps. You obviously know that what she's seen is the truth. You just have to get the perspective understanding of the how and why. Um, I'd say the one thing I touched on earlier that I think was a very interesting, and once again, Marvel did an amazing job of keeping this quiet and keeping it secret. So uh, I mentioned Annette Benning. So she shows up frequently and uh, Brie Larson or uh, what was it? Freeze or I can't remember. What's that? Her Cree name. 
Vers. Veers. Veers or Veers. Yeah, Veers. It's the last three letters of her last name. Right. So, you know, they call her Veers and they communicate with what is called the, you know, supreme intelligence. The leader of, of the Kree. Right. The leader of the Kree. And it's a mental projection and every person sees that person, you know, the supreme intelligence different. She sees as Annette Benning, and she doesn't know why. She has no idea. When she starts seeing her memories and seeing that she knew Annette Benning's character, that she was a scientist for a project, project Pegasus called um, uh, Larson. I think so. I don't remember really off the top of my head. Something along those lines. Gee, if I only had a piece of technology right here, if which could let me... the internet in your pocket. Well, that's even the funny thing right here is that if you look it up right now, just pull it up real quick on you know the internet. They have her marked as just Cree scientist. Yeah, and it's kind of played as that for a while. It's kind of you find out she's Cree, but you don't you know not early on, but at some point, and but you don't necessarily find out what her deal is. It, it's an interesting twist because all right, you have it where she's on the planet, she's working on this technology, and you find out the Cree want this technology but she's actually kind of almost like a rebel Cree, where she doesn't she's building this technology to try to create peace to help other civilizations get you know far away from the Cree and find their own worlds and find their own places as the movie progresses we find out and if you're a comic book fan that this character larson would be actually marvell which in the comics is captain marvell who is the original superhero that eventually would become you know, who Captain Marvel, our current one we know, the female one, it's Carol very, Danvers. It's very convoluted. It, it's convoluted, and I think where I have some of the minor issues is this, is that in the comics, they have it where Captain Marvel is such an inspiration to Carol Danvers, and that's why she became Miss Marvel and eventually Captain Marvel and took up the mantle herself here. She says how much she idolizes, you know, the you know Larson as a scientist, and that you know, she was one of the only few that gave her the chance to become a pilot and actually fly a plane itself. It's an interesting usage of the Marvel character itself. I don't know if I want to say it feels like they wasted the Captain Marvel character in some ways by doing this. Or... I definitely didn't quite get the feeling that she was as important as she was supposed to be throughout the movie. They kept kind of telling you how important she was, but I didn't really get that feeling through the scenes and the, the scenes that she was in and the little bits and pieces we got, which might just be the fault of a movie. I mean, you can't dedicate 20 minute chunk of time to show just how important she was. And understand my issue is in the fact that, Oh no, they took a male, you know, comic book character and made into a female. I just felt that you took an Ed Benning, whose character from a age standpoint, is a fairly older character in the movie. And you don't, see these fantastic terrific things that in the comics you know captain marvel go on to do so it's an it's a weird twist that they kind of pull right there that i don't think if especially when you have a character like this that's not as well known i don't think you can sometimes get too clever in the movie and do all these twists and then i hope assume that the casual viewer in the audience is going to get it yeah i think it's one of those cases where like the people making the movie thought it was a lot cooler than it actually turned out to be which you know, it wasn't bad, it just didn't get pulled off quite as well as it should have, maybe. Well, and I think the other issue, too, is then they still use Annette Benning as the projection that Carol sees when she's talking to the Supreme Intelligence. And then you have it, the later scene after she's captured, after she knows her truth and knows her past identity and everything, that, you know, she still takes on that form, but she 
the, the character of Supreme Intelligence as Annette Benning is sarcastic and dancing and doing all these weird things. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a Supreme Intelligence would do, I guess. And yeah, well, even since they kind of established up to that point that you see the Supreme Intelligence as somebody that you respect and you look up to and that you, you know, kind of idolize in a manner of speaking. And then once she kind of finds out, and I suppose to a point she still respects, you know, Marvell, but she, you know, I think her knowing what the supreme intelligence at that point was you'd think it would kind of change how she had seen her in that you know in her mind or whatever you want to call it yeah i i would say that from a casting standpoint it might have benefited from a different actress in that role or position i don't know who you would replace that out with i just yeah. don't think annette benning felt like she was the type of character that should have been in this kind of action movie i guess yeah and just you know underutilized if anything but you know um moving on i think there were some other aspects um you know like you had mentioned before like the whole samuel l jackson and brie larson chemistry was great you know the way they played off of each other um you know the surprise with goose in the end um where they, they kind of piped up to that i think the, the humor i think was well placed throughout the whole thing um much like it is in every marvel movie the action was great um I would say other, you know, character nods that you also had in the movie. You got to see Ron and the Accuser in there before, you know, the kids, you know, untimely death in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So you got to see what the Accusers did and why they had such a terrifying reputation amongst them. Um, it seemed kind of odd, I think, that Captain Marvel, when they did launch all those ballistic missiles, that somehow she managed to stop them all. But Yeah, that did seem a little implausible, but, you know, hey run with it hey she's got superpowers the flurkin thing uh i feel that if you've read uh the captain marvel series through from kelly sue DeConnick, you get the whole joke on that once again i feel that's one of those things that if you're a casual viewer it might fall a little flat you may not quite get it as much it's still amusing i think it still worked i mean i haven't read as much captain marvel and i had no idea what a flurkin was i mean it was obvious that there was something going on with the goose just because he kept around you know you don't keep a cat around just as a normal cat just to get the the crazy cat lady audience um it wasn't until after i'd seen it that i was reading an article i found out that it was a thing from the comics but i think it, they pulled it off well enough you know it was mainly done for laughs but i think it worked they did a nice job paying homage to uh the second miss marvel or captain marvel uh which was monica rambo and established that she was a friend of carol danvers so it's a nice little continuity nod right there showing like, that is monica the daughter or is that the mom no uh, that's the mom Okay, I was thinking it was the daughter. Um, no. Okay, I could be wrong. So that's Monica, because Monica Rambeau was pilot, and... Yes, yeah, and she was... I mean, there have been so many Captain Marvels between Marvel and DC, it's... Yeah. Well, that's... One thing I'll say is, if you have one near you, go see the movie at an Alamo Draft House because they always have little half-hour pre-shows, which kind of, like, show clips of actors in different roles they've done or also help explain various things. And they actually had, like, a 15-minute thing explaining... And I'm sure they'll reuse it next yeah. month as well. Why are there two Captain Marvels? There's the DC one, and then you have the Marvel one. And they kind of keep going back to it, explaining how it's convoluted. But hey, here's how all the Marvels work. And actually, I would say that if you watch that, you go into the movie with, if you're a casual viewer, a better idea what you're actually watching versus you know any other movie. So uh, hats off to the Alamo Draft House for actually putting that kind of piece together because I feel that's kind of context yeah. that helps out in so many different ways. I also saw it there and I was kind of surprised to see that pop up on the screen. It was kind of kind of nice, but it was certainly not something I was expecting because I kind of know the backstory, but and have explained it to my wife. But it's kind of nice to have it up on the screen there and told a little bit more 
clearly than I could probably blather out. Are you uh, satisfied with how Nick Fury lost his eye? Uh, they kind of feigned at it a couple times, and I didn't really expect them to to give their... I kind of thought that's what they were going to go the whole the whole movie through. And I, even when it actually happened, when the Flurkin clawed his eye and he got scratched, I figured, oh, it's just going to be a little scratch, and it's going to be another you know ploy at how he loses his eye. But then that ended up being how it happened. And it feels kind of like, you know... I don't know. Let it, me it, let me ask this. Didn't movie. work as well for me. Let me ask this question: Have you ever seen the movie Hot Tub Time Machine? I have seen parts of it, but not the entire thing. There's the running joke in the movie. So the movie is: There's four guys that are going back to this like resort they used to went to when they were younger to try to recapture and relive. But they go into a hot tub that goes back in time. When they go to the resort, as you know, before they go back in time, they run into Crispin Glover, whose character is the bellboy, and he has only one arm. So when they travel back in time, there's all these close mishaps where Crispin Glover almost loses his arm. And it's amusing because you're like, oh, this is how he loses his arm. But it isn't how he loses his arm. And, you know, they have all these near misses. And you finally see that because of their actions, guess what? He gets to actually keep his arm itself. But it almost kind of felt like that in some ways where, like, you kept teasing, like, oh, he lost his eye. I didn't lose it. It's okay. He's going to be fine. So... It, it was kind of a weird little, I think, gesture on that part there. Um, other things that, you know, I've uh, got to say, Skrulls, good comedians. Yeah, I think Ben Ben Mendelsohn did a good job as I can't remember his character. Talos. Is, uh, yes, Talos is the main, you know, scroll leader that was kind of heading up everything. I think he did a good job. Um, yeah, the I mean, I almost wouldn't mind seeing a whole scroll movie or like maybe one-shot quick TV special or something. I think they did a... They did a good job. I wouldn't mind seeing him again. Now, I think if there's one big spoilery thing to talk about that I had to look up online to try to find, I guess, an uh, explanation for. So I think I know it, what you're getting at. It's going to be revealed at the movie well. that the heart of all of um, Marvel's X-Science was all based on using the Tesseract, which is one of the Affinity Stones. So it shows up in the movie. It's something that the Tesseract is something that Kree are after. Whether the Kree knows the Tesseract is an Affinity Stone or not at that time, it's hard to say. Um, but they're after that. Uh, at one point, the cat or the Flurkin consumes it, the hive, the unit, and then it shows back up. Now, I had to look this up because there's Marvel continuity issues that's... Yeah. I had to try to get an idea of, did they retcon things, or is it how it is? Because the first time you see the Tesseract is you see it in the first uh, Captain America movie. It's the uh, cube that the Red Skull has, and it's what he uses to power all of his technology, and where he gets all his science research. Um, eventually, then he gets shifted in time all the way to Avengers Infinity War, where he's on a planet with some other role. Yeah, as they're flying, I can't remember how it happens, but it ends in the plane that Captain America and Red Skull are in, it falls out, and I think it just basically plops in the middle of the ocean in the middle of nowhere. So this is where it gets a little vague, because the understanding was is that it fell in the ocean, and that they alluded to they found the Tesseract. Basically, Howard Stark found the Tesseract, and they've been studying it for a while. But... If that's the case, then then how did Marvel have a Tesseract from that point, and then with the cat and the flirk and now giving it out? Did they? I, I think it's almost along the lines. Did they retcon that the Howard Stark found the Tesseract? I think it's still that he found it, but that he then gave it to Marvel to kind of help with her 
with her holding. It's kind of unexplained and, you know, maybe a bit clumsy. I don't think they needed to include the Tesseract. I think you could have just said it's Cree technology and that would have been fine. I don't think you needed to have the Tesseract there. It, I think that makes it, what makes it confusing is you've had now so many different Infinity Stones, it's harder for people to keep track of. You kind of almost need a flowchart at this point to try to get an idea where they all come into play. Another thing I think that's also kind of very... I think it's one of those things that, all right, if you're showing us the Tesseract, and it's also shown at the end of the movie in one of the post credit scenes as well, does that mean that this is going to be one of the more important aspects in how all of this resolves with the Avengers? Or is it just something just paying a nod to that, yes, this is stuff... I mean, I, I think it's very easy to see that the, the Tesseract and all the research, including the scroll science, is how the Avengers got their Quinjet, and then, you know, that's maybe how they got some of their technology, but... Yeah, I think it's more just a ladder of the, you know, a nod to Marvel history or so. I don't think it was anything too dramatic. Like I said, I think they could have left it out completely, and the movie would have been just fine. Right. I, I think it was kind of an unnecessary usage of that in there. Um, so that was one of the post credit scenes. The end credit scenes, they show the cat because they didn't know when the cat was going to, whatever happened to the Tesseract or if the Flurkin was going to have it. It eventually spits it up on Fury's desk. From the look of the desk and the computer, it's still back in the 90s. Yeah, it kind of, it, you're kind of led to believe that's pretty much just at the end of the movie, more or less. So that maybe implies that's how the Tesseract got back into shield hands and, you know, goes from there. Um, the first mid uh, mid credit scene it's actually kind of a kind of a harrowing one in some ways because you have captain america and all the original avengers basically almost disseminating through all of these reports and trying to get an idea how many people truly disappeared from the planet when thanos snapped his fingers and you see from different countries the numbers are rising in the millions and billions and stuff and they have the pager, and they're trying to figure out what the pager is for. They realize that Nick Fury used the pager, but they can't figure out why. And the pager runs out of battery, and they're like, well, why is it out of battery? I thought we bypassed the battery. And then you see Captain Marvel there face-to-face with the Avengers. And, hey, guys, what's up? Where's yeah, Where's Nick Fury? <laughs> so, she, she almost looks kind of pissed, too. Like, where's Nick Fury? What the hell? I I guess... I would agree that, yes, you know, she came, comes off a little stern, but then again, you're coming in and seeing a whole bunch of people you don't recognize, and yeah. you don't see the person that paged you, obviously you're going to be a little bit edgy. Well, I'm not that. saying it was out of place by any means, but it definitely wasn't like a happy friendly, hey guys, what's up, where's the cake? Hey, because she has all this power now, does she not age? Because yeah, that is kind of something I thought too, is she, when she shows up at the end there and it's, what, 23 years later, I think is what I've heard. At least 20. Um... She looks pretty much just like she had left the day the day she left with the scrolls to go help them find a new homeworld. And, you know, I think it's definitely believable that, you know, easy enough to write off that the, the power that she has now slows down her aging considerably. Um, other things to talk about in terms of spoilery things. The intro credits you have basically where they used to have a montage of all the Marvel superheroes, um, you know, throughout the course of Marvel's history. Instead, it's a montage of Stan Lee. And that was where I almost lost. I'm like, aw. Yeah, it was a nice little touch. Well, you're just not even ready for it either, I think. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah, all of a sudden there. It doesn't replace Outstand's uh, cameo, the Mallrat script reading, where he's just sitting there on a yeah. you know bus reading the script, which means that, hey, it's mid-90s. He's on his way to the filming of Mallrats as he's doing that. Which should be in Minnesota. 
All right, you're right. <laughs> Which isn't to say he's not just reviewing the script in New York as he got it, but... Well, was he in New York? Were they in L.A., I thought? Oh, yeah, I suppose that would have been L.A., but yeah, yeah, who knows? Maybe that's where his offices were at the time, and he's out in L.A. and just checking out the script that kept... Maybe he hasn't flown out yet. The reason why we're being sticklers about this is because both of us being Minnesotans and Mall Rats, the movie was filmed in the Eden Prairie Mall, but in, of course, the canon of the Viewskewiverse, it was actually a New Jersey mall. Oh, yeah, but still. There's no but still. No, I know, but he's, he's still on his way to Minnesota. Let's just say he's reviewing the script. On, he's on the bus on the way to the airport to fly out here to film his couple of scenes. When's the last time you've been to the Eden Prairie Mall? Jeez, I don't even know. A decade or more, probably. Yeah. I don't get out that way very often. Most most malls like are kind of dumps at this point. Like I've been to Roseville. I've been to Eden Prairie. The you know, the worst is I think is Maplewood actually. Yeah, they've all seen their heydays. They're definitely in the you know, with the exception of the Mall of America. Ugh. Um, even the Mall of America is just a toilet. No, it's better, but it's more high-end stuff. It's, you know, it's it's a touristy place is what it is, basically. I think it's almost become too touristy. I think the mall realized, you know, yeah. we can't, the stores can't maintain themselves in the mall unless you have the best hook in the world. So I think that's why you think about it. They converted so much of the mall into convention centers or expos or. Yeah. But we digress. How you do? I don't. I could talk about bashing about bashing the Mall of America for a long time. So hey, I've been working there for what, twelve years now. So yep. Sorry. Yeah, me too. Uh, any other uh, spoilerly things that we want to talk about with this movie? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's a good, solid movie, and like we said before, you should definitely check it out if you're a fan of the Marvel movies at all. And if you aren't a fan of the Marvel movies, why have you been listening to this whole podcast? That just seems yeah, absurd. It does seem odd. It does. Think about your life choices. So, recap, I got this in my 7 to 10, uh, seven to ten range. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's right in there. It's you know I don't think it falls out of the top 10, but it's definitely not top 5 material. Right, and hopefully I think the next, that's, the nice thing is when you see the next Avengers movie, you just get to see action. You get past all the exposition, hopefully, and it's like, hey, let's make a plan, see it, have a nice action movie itself. Yeah, I'm so. definitely looking forward to another month and a half here to see how they, how they pull all these you know, ends together, how they resolve everything and, and where we, you know, more importantly, where we go to after that. Yep. Cause they have not announced really any phase four and they said they will not announce any no, phase four until after Spider-Man. Yeah. We've seen the trailer for, what am I, what's it called? Far from home, Spider-Man far from home. Um, which it, does that take place after it's confirmed that's after. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, but other than that, they haven't, yeah, they haven't really, I know we're obviously getting a black Panther two. But on those two, I don't think they really announced a whole lot. No, I think that's when they're going to announce how the X-Men and Fantastic Four and all of them are coming back. So. Yeah, those are all working. And I'm sure several months after Endgame comes out, I'm sure they'll announce, hey, we've got these five movies on the slate for the next few years. I'm sure the amount of non-disclosure forms that so many of these actors have had to sign at this point. Tom is... Holland especially. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so as we wrap things up, uh, just a few things here. First, recommendations. Uh, last night I started watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix, the first couple episodes. Uh, very pleased with what I saw. I've heard good things about the comic book, but I've never read the comic book before. I have read the comic book, at least the first series. I don't think I ever got past the first series. Um, I also watched the first two episodes and haven't gotten past it. It's a very solid start, so I'll, I'll second that recommendation. Um, it's very well done, very well shot. I feel like the actors so far are doing great. I have heard it drags a little bit later, but that they do pull off the ending fairly well. Um, 
but I'm looking forward to it. It doesn't quite have as much quirkiness and strangeness as the comic has, which is a weird thing to say because there's a considerable amount of that in the TV show itself, but the TV, the comic book almost takes it to another level. Yeah, and I gotta say, the whole scene with Tiffany, I think we're alone now. Yeah, that, that's the one that kind of s- sinks in my mind, too, when he, when, uh, what's his name, Space Boy or whatever his name is, plays, that puts in the Luther. They, you know, they, yeah, they go off on the the little dancing tangent for, for the length of that song. So, yeah, that's my uh, recommendation for this episode. I'm currently right now drinking uh, Stone Grapefruit Slam IPA, uh, 8% alcohol. It tastes like if you were to mix a grapefruit shandy with an IPA. Rather delicious. Um, yeah, and I'm drinking a Stone Woot Stout um, provided by my co-host here. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I'm always looking for sponsors, Stone. Oh, wink, yeah. wink. Um, no, it's good stuff. A lot of people don't like stouts. I feel they don't give them a fair shake, and this one's definitely um, a little bit more on the, you're not going to like it if you don't like stouts, but I feel like even things like as mellow as Guinness, people don't give a fair shake to just because they feel like because it's so dark, it's going to be heavy and whatnot, and they're actually fairly smooth and good, so give a stout a shot. That There's my recommendation. Try a stout. All right, otherwise, guess what? If you listen to our first episode, we were trying to get some things straightened out in social media. I got it all straightened out, finally. We have a Geek Roulette Facebook page that you can go like and give feedback to. We now also have a Geek Roulette uh, Twitter page as well. That's at at Geek Roulette, so feel free if you want to give feedback there. Twitter? What? (laughs) I I I don't use Twitter. All right. So if you ever see any activity on the Twitter page, it's all me. It's that guy. I this guy over here does not do anything else with that. Otherwise, please feel free to uh, subscribe and rate us on whatever services you use to listen to podcasts. And uh, that's going to be it. Like, yeah. Thank you for joining us. The second episode, you'll see uh, here this when this episode is released, it should be by the end of the week of the nineteenth or sorry seventeenth or so. Happy anniversary to me. Yep, good for you. And also St. Patrick's Day. Yes, everybody celebrates our wedding in style. Yes, they do. Don't do anything stupid. We'll have another episode also hopefully on docket coming up shortly within the next week as well. So thank you for joining us. This is Mike Spriegel. And this is John Lundquist. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye.